Good morning again. I hope everyone had a wonderful week. If not, I hope you learned a lot. (laughs) There's always things we can learn and grow and, and keep refining as the Lord is showing us his character and developing that character in each one of us as we keep our eyes set upon him. Today we're going to open up the word, if you want to open with me, to John chapter 14. And if you were here last week, you remember that we had read the first three verses of John chapter 14. And uh, so we're going to take it a little further and read the next few verses in, in that same chapter today. So let's slide right over there. And it says this. So we're going to read verses 4 through 14. Jesus, again, I'll set the context. Jesus is talking with his disciples. They're at the Last Supper, so they're all around the table finishing their meal, and Jesus is kind of giving them this discourse on what is about to happen. He just had let them know that he is going to be parting from them. He's going to be leaving them. So this is just a huge blow upon all of their expectations. All of their expectations went completely out the window, and they're feeling completely disoriented. They're saying, what is going on here? This is not what I bargained for. This is not what I thought I was committing all of myself to. Like, what's, what's happening here? And so we'll pick up here in verse 4. Jesus says, You know the way to the, to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we even know the way? But Jesus answered him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him. You have seen him. But then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. But Jesus told him, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, In verse 14, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's say a quick word of prayer together, will we? Shall we? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the way that you have committed all of yourself to us and really to the Father and to us through him. Thank you for the way that you have done all that is needed to be done to just pave the way for us to just simply follow. The work belongs to you, Father, and you hand it to us so we just receive these things. We don't have to concoct them, design them, do these works upon our own self, our own ability. We just receive from you and let it flow freely through us. So would you teach us this morning really what you are meaning by this? 
and cause our sights to be set upon you, focused upon you. We love you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. As I was thinking about uh, this scripture and really what the Lord is challenging his disciples to in this passage, what I really see is this. He is, he is working in the lives of his disciples, and he is taking everything that they've known, this training, this building in them that he has been doing, and he's now transferring it, trying to bring it to the next level. He's taking them deeper. See, for these three-plus years, they've been following him and watching him and learning and growing, but now they're called to not just watch and follow any longer, but now become more actively engaged so that the works that they've been watching Jesus do, now they begin to put these works into practice because God is going to fill them even as he had filled Jesus himself. I'm curious, do we have any uh, HGTV fans in here? There's a few, there's a few. I love watching a lot of the shows that they have, they have on there, the, um, the Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines. That's pretty cool. Watching the, those renovations are absolutely like, mind-blowing sometimes. Um, sometimes it inspires us in a way we shouldn't be inspired to go and tackle projects in our own homes. Matthew, we were talking about this last week. You watch that show and you want to just get off the couch and just start tearing walls down in your house. <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> or Has anyone seen that, that show, Insane Pools? There's a show called Insane Pools. And what they do is people with like money coming out of their ears hire this company. And what they do is they come in and they design. It's not even just like a pool. Like what they're literally doing is they design essentially like an oasis in their backyard. And these things literally cost upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars because they're, they're tearing open the ground and they're building these indoor, I mean, these in-ground pools with hot tubs and waterfalls and these huge rock arts. I mean, it's literally an oasis in these people's backyard. But there's something about watching these projects and seeing something, seeing this transform, watching a house that's old and decrepit all of a sudden get this, not just even a facelift, but the whole thing, the structure is being reinvigorated. And it's like, this doesn't even look like it could have been what it used to be. Like It looks like completely two different works. And seeing, seeing a backyard with just grass and some bushes turn into a literal dream oasis. There's something phenomenal that just draws us into that. It's inspiring, watching that kind of, that kind of transformation. Now, when something like this is being built, or when, say when a, when a building is being built, it happens in stages. There's a process. There's an order that it has to follow in order for this to be done and done well. You begin with, with a foundation or the structure, the framing that's going to really hold the whole thing together, and then you move to the functionality of it and the operation. Take a house. You go from the framing and then from the framing, you make sure that that building is now weather tight. It's protected from the environment. And once it's weather tight, now you move to the operation and the function. You get the plumbing in gear. You put, get the electrical and the wiring all in place. And then once all those things are done, now you can start moving towards the finish work, the drywall, all of the designs and the woodwork and everything. And, but, but this is all in phases. And if any stage gets missed, the project will not be completed the right way. And even if it looks proper in the moment, it's not going to last if any of those stages or phases in the project get skipped over. 
it's not done well. The, the thing has not been completed with integrity. And so it cannot stand and it can't last. And these are the different phases a project ha- goes through to bring it to completion. Here's what a fe- Hebrews chapter 3 says in verse 4 and 6. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Verse 6, Christ is faithful as the sun over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We are the very house of God. He is building in us, and this is a process. There's stages and there's phases that we go through in order for him to complete the work in us. And he does not do the work halfway. He doesn't skip over any steps. And so we can't say, okay, I'm just going to ignore this lesson so I can move on to the next one. No, there is no moving on. There's no leveling up until we have learned the thing that he wants us to learn, until he's developed inside of us that thing that he's been trying to shape and mold and prepare so that he can go to the next level. And this is what he's doing with the disciples in this story. He's trying to lead them to the next level. It was time. They were ready. So here here they are with him, and he's trying to to, to move them ahead. And the challenge now, the challenge now is for the disciples to listen to what Jesus is challenging them to do and then be able to obey that and move out into that in confidence. Like Hebrews says, we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence. We've got to hold on to our faith. We're looking at him. He's the builder. It's not us. It's not dependent upon what you do. It's dependent upon who you are looking at. And when we're focused on him, this now causes us every reason for confidence to move forward in boldness. So he's calling his disciples into a new phase, and that was their challenge now. Accept it and then move in confidence. But now they're having a real hard time struggling with this. See, verses 1 through 3 of John chapter 14 Jesus is, he's comforting them and he's saying, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Protect the confidence that I've given you. You've learned this. You know me. We've been together all this time. Don't let trouble and doubt seep in and bring all of what I'm building to a halt. But hold on to this confidence. But after verse 3, he begins to now transition from that comfort of don't be troubled to now looking ahead. He's causing them to now not just look in the immediate, but focus ahead onto what lies down the road. There's more than what you can see now. In John 14, 28, he tells them, if you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm leaving and going to the Father. You should be happy that I'm going. You're leveling up now. In verse uh, 7 of chapter 16, it says, it's for your good that I'm going away. Because Jesus was leaving them and going away, they were being activated to accomplish greater works. His leaving, his parting, the thing that they did not want, they were fighting against, his leaving was the very thing that was causing them to be activated and to come to a new level in their walk with him. But they have a hard time accepting that. They were uncertain. What's, what's going to be happening? Like, what is life going to be like without Jesus here? Despite any kind of encouragement that that he was giving them, they had Jesus in front of them, and they were being told that they would no longer have that. See, no one throughout history had what they had. 
Now, God had appeared to a handful of people to communicate with them, to give them a message, just a handful of people throughout history, even in the scripture where it tells us of these things. But no one had experienced God the way that the disciples had. God amongst them, Emmanuel, God with us. And not even the way that the crowds had. They can come and the crowds came and listened to his teaching, but these disciples, they saw him, like they slept next to the man. So they saw him day in and day out. They had God with them. So they're kind of spoiled in a sense. And here now they're being told that that was going to be taken away. That was leaving them in a very uncertain place, feeling like their foundation was very shaky. And so they begin to express that and express their concerns with him. They were dependent upon his physical presence. And being dependent upon Jesus, that's, that's not a bad thing, right? In and of itself, we're supposed to be dependent upon him. Like it says in the scripture, it's through Christ that we can do all things. We're dependent upon him and not upon ourselves. And we'll, we'll always be leaning on him and his ability to save us instead of our own abilities. But as the disciples were now finding out, they were not assigned to lean on him and just watch as bystanders. Now they're being called to actively engage in the things they only saw him do before. Now it's their turn. Jesus is not the typical leader. Most often, a leader is, is celebrated because of their abilities or their influence, some kind of special thing that they have an ability to do. And so people are drawn to that leader, and they, they look to that leader to, to do what only they do best, while everyone else looks on and cheers them on and celebrates and quotes them and maybe models some behaviors. But Jesus, this is not, he's not that type of leader. Jesus does not seek to lead while we all sit in our seats, and just watch from the sidelines. Disciples had yet to learn that. Jesus did not call them to just cheer him on. He called them out to live lives of power and actively engage with him. See, his intention was to take the power and the works that the Father was doing in him and delegate that out. A good leader delegates. You don't do it all upon yourself. You offer this out. Other people have roles to play. And the disciples didn't quite grasp what, was, what this was all about. So he goes into a little bit more detail to explain that to them. Thomas and Philip were the first ones to speak out with questions and thoughts of doubt. And here's the interesting thing where he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back and bring you to that place. And the first thing that they, they're, they're just thinking, he's leaving. All, they're not thinking about, oh, he's getting something ready, he's going to take us to it. But now their immediate reaction is fear and doubt. They didn't feel ready. They weren't, they weren't prepared. I think that brings to us a relevant consideration for us today. When are we really prepared to go to the next phase or the next level in our walk with Christ? When are we ready, right? Are, is, is there such thing as ready? Like if he says go, we, we just go. Like it's not, we just follow. Has anybody ever found themselves, I wonder, in a place where, or a situation where you're just completely unprepared, unprepared for, just caught off guard? 
Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm, there's like three hands at first. Okay. Let's let's just be real. We always caught off guard, right? I'm, I remember uh, years ago when my wife and I uh, had just moved to Puerto Rico, and we had our daughter. She was one years one year old. And when we got ready to move down there, she had a number of family members that were living there. And so we, we, we packed up our apartment. We sold everything we didn't. We weren't going to take to Puerto Rico with us. And I, we had a job lined up that I was going to start once we arrived. We get down there. We move in. And the job, just it just vanished like a vapor. It was just gone. And so everything that we had lined up and, and all set was just like, wh what's happening here? And so I was caught off guard by that. And so what ended up happening for the first um, maybe month, month and a half, was she, my wife, ended up working. She had a family member who could just hire her uh, for a job. She started working, and I became a stay-at-home dad for the first month, month and a half down there. I was not prepared for that. And let me tell you guys, if you've never tried it, it is not a cushy or enjoyable experience. I have so much more respect. I will work 12, 15 hours a day just so that my wife can be there and be that nurturing mother that she was designed to be. <laughs> I was caught off guard by that. So then I'm searching. We said, okay, well, what, what do you want me to do for work here? So then we found this English-speaking church down there, and one of the members of the church, he owned an electrical distributorship where they sold electrical components and goods to a lot of the pharmaceutical companies and contractors down there. So he ended up hiring me. And this was another thing I was completely caught off guard by. First of all, I did not speak Spanish. I cannot speak the language, okay? Second of all, I am not and never have been an electrician, and I know nothing about it. <laughs> and thirdly, he hired me as, as, as a salesman, and I did not do sales, and I will never do sales. That is not my thing. So I was completely unprepared and unready. What is this all about? So I found myself in this foreign country, essentially, where I don't speak the language. I'm not next to any of my family. I was literally pulled out of everything that I knew and, and plopped in the middle of this tiny little country the size of Connecticut, in the middle of the ocean. And it sounds like a paradise, and it is when you're there for a week. But when you live there and you're surrounded by ocean on all sides and there's nowhere to go, just mentally, like there's this idea of like, I'm trapped and I can't get out of here. Somebody help me. I was caught completely off guard. But it was in that time, in our time living down there, where the Lord changed some things in me that I never even knew needed to be changed. He taught me lessons that I didn't even know were there to learn because he brought me to that place. Was I actually ready for it? If you ask me, you know what I say, heck no. Would I ever want to do it again? Heck no. <laughs> but am I glad that he did it? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing me through that experience. Because maybe I wouldn't have chosen it for myself, but he knows that I was ready for that. He knows when we are ready to move forward into the next phase. And so what is it that our response ought to be when he's calling us to another level? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. When he's calling us to that next level, we don't kind of check our training manual and say, okay, yeah, I got that down. I got that down. We're going to check our pockets. Yep, I get everything I'm going to need. Okay, God, I'm good. I'm ready to go. No, no. When he's calling us to this next phase, we don't take an evaluation of ourselves. Am I really ready for this? 
God is the one who has called you into that. God is the one that we follow. We're not looking upon our own qualifications and our own abilities. We're looking to him. And if he's the one giving the call, we've got to move forward in faith. We've got to accept it. We have to follow him and let him do the work that he wants to do because we know that the things that he is doing is good. It is done well and it is completed. He does not stop until it is already brought to complete fruition. And this is where the, Jesus, where the disciples were with Jesus. He's telling them, okay, it's time to move forward. It's time to go to the next place. And they say, we're not ready. Just, just give us some tips here. Let us know what, happened, what, what we need to do. Where are you going? Show us, show us another sign. They're trying to figure out where he's going so that they can figure out how to follow him. They're trying to prepare themselves, trying to do it themselves. Anybody, anybody ever try one of those DIYs, do-it-yourself project? That's like, that's like the, 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 the big thing now. You go on Pinterest, you, you find other people's creative ideas, and then we try to copy them. And they put it in steps, like follow step one through ten, and then you got, you get it. Man, some of those things that you come out there, you, if, you, if you just Google um, DIY fails, man, <laughs> the things that come up, man, like, okay, here's what we're trying to make, and here's what came out. It's like this, this, this horrid, but yeah, oh, you know, shaking your hand back there, James, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's, this is kind of the phase, like, we're, we want to do things ourselves. We want to say, just show me how to do it, and I can do it for myself. We don't have to hire someone else or have them do it for us. We can do this. And here's where the disciples were. They're saying, okay, Jesus is leaving. So now they're getting into this mode. Like, we got to figure out how to do this thing on our own. Jesus, first, tell us where you're going. Just, we don't know how to get there because tell us first where you're going and then we'll try to figure it out from there. Just, just show us some kind of, they're scrambling. They want to do it themselves, not realizing that this is not something that they're going to do upon their own self. Because anything that they do in their own effort, anything that they're going about because they're just striving after it was sure to fail. See, they had known the scriptures. They were familiar with scriptures like Psalm 127, verse 1, where it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. They were familiar with this, but all, of the, all the things that they knew and all their training for a second, they're totally blanked out, and they're just scrambling. Show us. We need to figure out what we need to do. And so Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He's worried about directions. He's worried about the how-to. How do I do this? And Jesus tells him, after I've been with you for so long, do you still not know me? How long will you have to walk with me? How long will you have to pray to me, learn from me, before you know me? Before you're ready to step up? When is it enough? When are you ready to hear my call and just follow and just be obedient? So Philip chimes in and he says, well, just show us the Father and that's enough. Just show us the Father. And he was right to say, show us the Father because really, for all of us, all that we need is a vision of God. That is all we need. And we can follow after him because once we see him, there's no doubt left. There's no room for doubt left in our spirit. But where Philip failed was this. He failed to realize that he had been given a vision of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He was looking God in the eye while he said, just show us a vision of God. (laughs) He's asking for something that he's literally engaging with right there and then. 
In verse 9, Jesus said, Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? His response to to their doubt was, don't you know me? Stop thinking about yourself and what your considerations are of yourself, what your evaluations of where you stand are. It's about me. Don't you know me? It's about Jesus. Philip still hadn't learned that when it comes to our faith and life, it's not about how we do this thing, but it's about who we are focusing on. That's what it all comes down to. And so Jesus goes on to explain it further in verse 10 where he says, Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Those aren't my words. It's the Father living in me who is doing his work. This is what Jesus is reminding them. They've looked at him and they've watched him all these these years and been amazed at what they've witnessed. But they needed to be reminded that the things that they watched were not the works of Jesus in and of himself. Jesus just told them, the works that you've seen are the works of the Father in me. He was the vessel of God's work in the world. And he's not speaking figuratively, but literally. To ask to see the Father is to ask for what they've already been given. He said, my words are the words of the Father. My works are the works of the Father. They don't belong to me. To know me and the Father is all the preparation that you need. You're ready. You're ready. They had seen all these things and and now still claiming that they weren't ready, weren't qualified, they hadn't seen enough. It only showed that their eyes were on themselves rather than upon the Father who was right before them. See, their confidence was in the physical presence of Jesus. And so without his presence, they immediately start to resort to their own devices, their own understanding, their own abilities. And in the same way like we struggle with, as long as they are looking to themselves, they will be assured that they have come up shorthanded every time. As long as we look upon ourselves, you will be reminded how unqualified you are, how unready you are. As long as we're looking upon ourselves, you will be reminded that you don't deserve to go one step further. But he's calling them to look to himself. Look at me. It's not about you. I am the one who is worthy, and I am the one who has given you this worthiness. It belongs to you. I've given myself to you. Rather than looking at yourself, look to the Father. He is the source and inspiration for every good work. Verse 11 says this, Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, he starts to plead with them now, at least believe on the evidence of the works that you have seen. See, Jesus wanted to raise them up to the next level, to bring them into the next phase in their walk with him. But it it seems here like before they were able to go any further, they were kind of taking a step backwards. He had hoped that they could take his word for it and believe based upon his word. It's greater to, it says, um, blessed are they who believe, who have not seen. But you're seeing. Even if you don't believe my words, look at the things that you're able to see and touch with your own hands and believe upon the evidence of that. That alone is 
evidence that this is God at work. So he's reminding them, you've seen the Father. He's with you because I'm with you. But then he transitions and takes it to another place. In verse 12, he says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. See, all this time he's giving them reassurance that they have all they needed, that they were ready, that it was going to be okay. He's bringing them forward to another place. But then he makes this shocking statement, and not talking just about the works that they witnessed him do, but a time had arrived for those works to start to happen through their own hands, through their own mouths, through them. See, they were entering another level in their call as God's church. Not only would they do the same works that Jesus had done, but they would do greater things. As a people of God, we're not simply people of faith. We're people that are filled with the power, the presence, and the works of God. This is who we are now. This is his design for us, that, we, that his power be alive in us and active, not sitting in here, not something that we can kind of open up the container and kind of show on display. It's something that is in us. It has redesigned us. It has remade us into something that we couldn't be without him. And this is something that has to excite us, the fact that we're filled with the presence of God and his works now happen through me. Not, any, not in and of ourselves, but these are works that have been prepared for us. We simply receive it and let it flow through. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We don't do these good works to earn kind of favor or to call ourselves qualified now, although that's our go-to. We feel better if we do things that we think are good, then maybe we're ready to go deeper. But any good works don't belong to us in the first place. This scripture makes it very clear that God has done these works and prepared them for us in advance. He now does the work through us, and we're just a channel. We're just an open vessel. When the the Spirit of God is alive in us, His works flow through us. And so we don't have any more claim to those works we have claimed to God the Father who's alive in us, moving us, moving us. When we let him move us, we'll be amazed at what we witness him doing. Now, what are these works he's talking about? He's talking about greater works. Of course, we think about these things like miracles and signs and wonders that he had done of, of healing people and controlling the environment, the weather, but these, these works of God were not just these miracles. It was his holy living, living a perfect life. The works of displaying the divine character so that we see and engage with the divine character. The works of his perfect love and all that that love empowered him to do. So what are these greater works? See, Jesus raised people from the dead. He lived perfectly with no sin. His works every day were displayed. 
And so, and so in one place in the scripture, it says, if, if we were to write down and record all of the amazing works that Jesus had done, there wouldn't be enough books in the world. So how could we possibly do these greater works? It's not that these greater works were, were going to be us doing miracles that Jesus himself couldn't do. For the Father to do the works in Jesus, who was already perfect, a perfect man, and even the Son of God, it's powerful, but it, it kind of makes sense in a way. He's the Son of God, and so the, the, the miracles of God, the work of God is going to happen through him more naturally. But for the disciples, for you and I, to display the Father's work in us, that's a miracle in itself. For sinful men and women, people who were far from God, but now brought close and even filled with God and displaying his work in this world, that's a transformative work. That's transformation. Something that we weren't, we are now. That's a greater work. He's transformed us. And now, as countless numbers upon numbers of people become transformed individuals, displaying God's work everywhere that we go, we become now transformed communities, displaying God's work and filling his world with his character, with his favor, with his goodness. These are the greater works that he's talking about. These are the works that we've been prepared for. These are the things that he's calling us to engage in. His promise of greater works was for his disciples of who we are even still today. That promise is being fulfilled even now in you and I. Whether or not we acknowledge it, it's being done. In every Christian who has our eyes upon him and hearts turned towards him, he's calling us to another level in our walk with him. He's calling us deeper. He's raising us up. And it's not in and of ourselves. He's not asking us to do something differently because he's not asking us to do anything in the first place. He's asking us to receive something that he has to give us, something that's been prepared for us. He wants us prepared. In Ephesians, it talks about how Christ is preparing his bride to be spotless, without stain, without wrinkle. And this now is who we are. He is preparing us to receive him. And now we're in this place, even as the disciples were, where he says, prepare, get ready. I'm taking you higher. I'm raising the bar. I want to do even greater things. And all you need to do is receive these greater things. Just walk in it. Just accept me. Because the only thing that will threaten these greater works is your confidence in me. The only thing that can inhibit this building from going up to the next level is our doubt, our lack of faith. We have to keep our eyes set upon him so that the building can go on, so that he can continue his work. This is not a DIY project. We are not doing anything on our own. He's doing the work. And he's saying, just let me do it. Just yield your hearts to me because I'm going to do this. This is what it means to go deeper in Christ. Surrender. Yield to him. And when we yield to him, he's able to do the works. The more we're yielded to him, the more he's able to do. And so when, when we hear that whisper of the Holy Spirit in us say, I want to take you higher. I want to bring you to the next level. What that requires for us, 
I've got to yield more. I've got to yield my heart. I've got to yield every part of me to Christ so he can do this in me. Let's answer that call. Let's turn our eyes and our focus to him so that our confidence comes from him and not in our ability to do it. Let's let him do the work he wants to do so we can be that pure and spotless bride ready to receive him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, we are grateful for the work that you've done. And I thank you that it requires no work on upon our, our, from our own part, but it simply requires our accepting your work and yielding to your will. And this is what we desire to do, yield to your will. Complete your greater work. Do everything that you've intended and prepared from the very beginning. Let it be made complete and full in us. God, we love you. We honor you. And we want to see your fullness all throughout our community, throughout our home, and throughout this world. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the worship team um, closes in this final song, um, we're going to open up the communion table for you to come and partake in the, the body and the blood of Christ. Um, and as we do that, consider this, that what we're, accept, what we're taking part in, in this communion, is we are accepting the work. This is where our confidence comes from. It's him, and we choose to receive that.